Hey, and welcome back to the Wolverine Podcast. We've got a real special one lined up for you tonight. You certainly recognize Tom Crawford, who uh, is with <laughs> us more weeks than not, that uh, uh, jumps in, our man from East Lansing, and talks Michigan football all the way back to uh, the 1960s and knows about it far beyond that. <laughs> but tonight, we've got something a little extra special, uh, as you can see. Uh, we've got B.J. Dickey, a Michigan quarterback from the mid to late 70s that uh, is joining us. And we're going to a lot of quarterback perspective and what that battle's like and all of that. Uh, great to have you, B.J. Uh, thanks for joining us and, uh, and welcome to both you guys. John and Tom, thank you guys for having me. Really an honor and I appreciate that. And, and go blue to you guys and everybody who's watching. All right. Well, let's just jump right into it because we want to start out with the quarterback situation, which has been the most compelling for Michigan. Uh, really, the, the lead storyline throughout. You get uh, JJ McCarthy getting that first start, and then all of a sudden he's uh, uh, named the starter. Comes back and kind of doubles down. Has has a good game. Uh, the, the disappointment of a Cade McNamara in losing the job where he took Michigan to the Big Ten championship last year. And on top of that, to add injury to insult, uh, you get uh, Cade going down and now he's going to be out for a while. And what I want you to do is, BJ, talk about uh, your time early on and how some of that relates to uh, to even today. You, I'm sure, can relate to some of the feelings of a uh, of a Cade McNamara. Yes, absolutely. And Tom and I go back to the uh, to the old days, to the mid and late '70s. And Tom goes back a couple of years before me. But yeah, you know, I you know I was a small town kid from Ohio. I show up at Michigan, and there's like seven, eight, you know, quarterbacks, and you kind of look around and go, "Geez, what what did I get myself into?" I mean, there's the Rick Leach and Roger Bettis and Jim Brio and Wangler and, the, you know, all fabulous athletes. So, you know, it, it was definitely tough. But what happens is all of a sudden now there's that competitive spirit just kicks in. All the reasons and the things that you did that got you there in the first place, all of a sudden that kicks in and says, look, I'm going to try to outplay, outwork, outhustle, you know, every one of these guys. Um, you know, now Rick was obviously a two-year starter. So, you know, I think it was pretty well established who, who, who was going to be the starter. But, you know, then John and I and Jim Bria, we, you know, we really uh, we really battled for that second spot. You know, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, become the second string quarterback for a couple of years. And uh, but, it, you know, it's a meritocracy. You really had to work your tail off and be ready. We, we've all heard the analysis and it goes true way back then that you have to prepare every day as if you're the starter, because you, you never know when that opportunity may come. And you better be prepared when that opportunity does show up. Let me ask you this, uh, because you mentioned it as a meritocracy, which is a word that, that Jim Harbaugh uses often. Is there any real um, objectivity if you're one of those guys that's battling in that meritocracy? I mean, you 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 have to think, hey, I can do this. I'm the guy. Cade McNamara in in down in Indianapolis before the season started says, I feel like this is my team. And very shortly, it wasn't his. So how do you, I mean, how do you stay objective if anybody really does? 
Well, it, clearly a unique situation that that he had such a uh, historic is the right word last year, but you know, beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten, all of those those milestones that that Michigan so desperately wanted, and and he achieved those. So I don't know as if he lost the job as much as JJ just took it from him, quite honestly. So I, I don't know exactly how he feels. I know it's got to hurt quite a bit because obviously he feels it's his team and and he led them. But now he's a captain, so he's in a pretty unique situation where he's a captain. He's got to stay there as a leader. It's it's an, it's a high honor to be a captain at the University of Michigan. So he really has to uphold that level uh, and and kind of shelve the um, you know the obvious disappointment of not being the starter. But he's now got to foster and teach and and and, and nurture, if that's the right word, the younger quarterbacks coming up, even more so now that he's injured. Because again, that throws yet another element into this that he is really going to need to be there to nurture those those young kids who are now going to be, you know, the second string kid for the next, what, one, two, three, four, whatever weeks. How, I have no idea how long he's out. But, yeah, he's in a unique spot. And it's going to take a lot of, you know, guts and intestinal fortitude to really stand up and be a leader in that position. Yeah. Tom, jump in here and give us a, a little BJ Dickey memory from <laughs> back in the day. And also, you know, uh, yeah. if your thoughts on your mind regarding this whole dynamic, uh, feel free. Well, I'm going to first start out by teasing him at getting dragged down and that option keeper in 1977 against Wisconsin. They were up 49-nothing, and he didn't take it to the house. Bo was like wondering, what the hell? I thought you were fast. I remember that play, BJ, but you scored later, so I'll give you that. But, John, uh, about BJ, this is – I mean, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm telling you what, I really gained a lot of respect for him in 1979 because I think if I memory serves me right, uh, you know, started in the uh, – I mean, I don't know if the – Northwestern game was the first one, and and then there was Notre Dame, and then and then all of a sudden Wangler come in later, and then and then BJ starts in the Michigan State game, a huge game, and he he beats the Spartans up in in uh, East Lansing, and then John wiggles his way back in there late in the year, and I will never forget the Gator Bowl, BJ, and this is where you got to be ready to play because you remember vividly when Lawrence Taylor, I think it was, ripped yes. John Wangler's knees to shreds. Yes. Yes. If I think he was the guy. And uh, BJ comes in there, throws a touchdown pass, I think, to AC, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, late in the um, game. Yes. Late in the game, and you almost pulled that thing up. But that shows you that mentality of next play mentality. you got to be ready. you got to think starter. And that was a perfect example of that, BJ. Well, the interesting thing, when Wangler hurt his knee, we were down on – we were like in the old one, two, or three – yard line inside the five. So yeah. my first play, Bo calls a slant pass to AC. And uh, I hit him and he was literally just one shoestring tackle away from going, you know, 90 whatever yards. But uh, so, so yeah, that we talk about that. You have to be ready, prepare like you're the starter all the time. You never know. So you did. I mean, you got a, a real taste of that action. You came out of high school, uh, obviously highly regarded and how difficult is it to uh, to just be there and be in that mix? And then, you know, as as you go along in your career, not being able to be the one that takes over. Well, and, and Tom mentioned it. I mean, John Wangler and I, we you know, we battled our whole careers together and, and we both played quite a bit. We had a little different style. And I don't know if you can compare that to a Cade and a JJ, but. You know, we had a little different style. Um, yep. We were both obviously, you know, good enough to be starters. And 
and we split time and shared time. And, and, and I still consider John one of my best friends. And but yet we were competing, you know, neck and neck every single day, you know. And then I had a fairly unique situation when I came back my sixth, my fifth year. Uh, Steve Smith was a sophomore and, and I had, you know, I'm a returning starter, three year letterman. I was capable of starting, but it was fairly obvious that, that you know, Smitty was a, was a better athlete, and was going to be a better long term um, solution for Michigan. And Bo wanted to start a sophomore. So, you know, again, I was a senior, had to, had to be a leader. I remember working with Smitty, and if he's listening, I hopefully he would agree. But, you know, I did everything I could to help prepare him to be the best quarterback he could be um, use, using my, you know, my experience and my knowledge to help him. And that's, again, what I mentioned earlier with Cade. It's really incumbent upon him to work with the younger guys. It's just that's the Michigan system. That's what teammates do. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, John, and BJ, just for, I want to chime in for a second. BJ Dickey, he didn't have the opportunity but you would have been the portal kind of candidate, right? You had the job, the job's taken away. I'm going to go to another school. Five-year guy, John, and he scored a touchdown in his last position. I was down at the game, down at the Houston Astrodome against UCLA, 33-14 over the Bruins. And I was really happy for you, my friend, on that. I thought that was well-deserved. Thank you. And as we mentioned earlier, when I scored that touchdown, I hung onto that ball, ran right over <laughs> the sideline and handed that to big John Falk and said, keep this for me. And I've got it on display in my office right above me here. <laughs> Tom, you read my mind in mentioning the portal because that is such a big difference today. Oh, yeah. And I had a uh, conversation with uh, Ward Manuel at the end of last week. It's going to go into the next issue of the Wolverine. But uh, one of the things that Ward Manuel had to say about the transfer portal, he says he's he's fine with uh, people having the the opportunity to go other places and things like that. But he, he said he thinks one of the things that you will have less of is uh, the, the struggle, the struggle through adversity in becoming what you might become because of that. And he went on about that. And I said, so you're saying you're going to have le- fewer Tom Brady stories, right? And he said, yeah, that's right. BJ, your thoughts about that and how that has changed some things in football these days. Well, and, and that's a great point. Ward made a great point there. And and, and you're right. Back in, in my day, you know, the, the transfer portal and the NIL and obviously none of that existed. So we, you know, wasn't really an option. So when you, you know, weren't the starter or were demo- not demoted, but I mean, when you, you were not playing as much as you thought you should, your choice was just to work harder and just be prepared. I mean, that sounds like it just being redundant, but that was your only way out. You just kept working harder, working harder and, and just be prepared. You know, God forbid an injury, you never want anybody to get hurt. But if something happened, you, you, you're you going to step in and you're going to have that opportunity. I mean, that was the one thing that Bo would tell you from, from the very beginning. Obviously, that room was full of 100 plus fabulous athletes that were, you know, all world in their high schools and so forth. But Bo would say, you know, you're going to get one opportunity. You're going to get at least one opportunity. You're going to get a chance to play. You have no idea when that will come. It could be a Tuesday, you know, afternoon practice. It could be a, a Wednesday, you know, spring ball scrimmage. But if you were ready and you were prepared, then obviously you could step in and take advantage of that. I saw a lot of fabulous athletes that maybe weren't quite as prepared that, you know, maybe didn't play as much as they should have based upon their talent. So it, it's mm-hmm. a tough spot. And, and and I think Ward makes a great point because, you know, we all talk about you learn from adversity. Sure, it's it's fun to have success and, you know, be on, be on top. But you learn more from 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 adversity uh, a lot of times, and that does build character. And we've always talked about, 
you know, when you go into the world, you become a father, you become, you know, a husband, you become, you know, in the business world, you have those that you can, those, those situations and those adversity that you can draw upon. And it, it's a wonderful resource to have. No doubt. And I've heard that from uh, player after player uh, talking about the things that they went through as a Michigan football player that they rely on now in business, in life, if they have setbacks, all those things. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, an important part of it. We've talked to Doug Skeen, the former Michigan offensive lineman, and he said the same thing. He says you 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 lose a little bit when, uh, you know, you you take an easy out. And so that's I, I think that's a big deal. I, Another I it person. Too. Yeah, it's a different world. Sorry yeah. No. Well, we we were talking uh, this week as well to John Jansen, who is the, now the new radio uh, color guy on uh, Michigan Radio. And I asked him about uh, one J.J. McCarthy. And uh, I won't give away his uh, complete answer because uh, it's it's in the, the latest edition of the magazine as well. But I'll tell you what. John Jansen is extremely high on J.J. McCarthy. I already know that Tom Crawford is because he's been <laughs> talking him up for months now. But I, what I want to know from both of you, Tom, you go first on this one, is uh, your impressions on how he has come out this year and uh, and what you think is the ceiling for this kid. Well, th- this kid, I, you know, I, I read some things beyond what I see between the lines. I mean, the postgame presser, John, you were there. BJ, you might have saw it on tape. I mean, this kid could not get the smile off his face. Right. He is one of the more enthusiastic guys I've ever seen. He goes in there, he looks at Blake Corum, says, is this the way it is? Is this the way it is? I mean, he was literally – and Jim referred to that. He says he's like a kid at a candy store doing walkthroughs. You know what I mean? That is an enthusiastic guy. Another thing I, I saw on the sidelines, he's on the headset. BJ, you can relate to that quarterback's uh, – when you have the backup get in there, you're on the phones with him talking it through, and he's in there – like a coach with a six or seven string quarterback. I can't remember who it was in. He was engaged in that game beyond how he throws. The, there was a lot of balls that were thrown in the flats. Okay. Mm-hmm. In this game. Those you, are tough uh, throws. Yeah. Those are tough throws. I swear to God, it, it, he looked like a, uh, an all-star third baseman throwing the first. That's a laser throw that, uh, that he delivers in the flats. And you have to do that on the timing aspect of it. But, I know there wasn't a lot of verticality in this game. I, I want to see J.J. throw deep, um, and I'd like to see the tight ends utilize more. I know that's save that for a better day, a more needy day. Mm-hmm. But that's when we get, once again, into that tougher competition, and that starts with Maryland, right. and you get a better gauge on J.J. McCarthy, in my opinion. Well, there, there's no question athletically what we've seen, and, and again, obviously it's against lesser opponents, but his athletic skills just – I don't know where the ceiling is for that. He's just fantastic. So – the key for him, and that's why he was probably on the headsets, is keep learning, keep understanding. The competition will get tougher. The athletes on the other side of the ball will start becoming a little bigger, stronger, faster. The coaching staffs of the teams coming up are going to now have three or four uh, sets of film to watch and start game planning him. So, you know, it's going to continue to change and evolve. And it will get more difficult. So he'll have, to, and I'm sure he will, and I'm sure our coaching, obviously our coaching staff is going to have him prepared. But those are the challenges that will come down the road is, is the competition gets tougher and the coaching staff that's game planning against him will be much more difficult. So he, he's got unbelievable talent. He just has to keep his head and, and, 
and uh, get us in the correct spots and get, you know, as a quarterback, get yourself and get your team in the correct spots and the correct plays and get the ball to the right people, you know, at the right time. Now, again, that's easier said than done, but that's, that's where he'll continue to grow as the season goes on. Well, I think that might be one of the things that the coaches were impressed with on uh, JJ McCarthy in that UConn game, because all right, what did uh, UConn do? They laid off. They weren't mm-hmm. going to give ball, mm-hmm. deep balls. They were just going right. to make you earn it underneath. And so J.J. McCarthy right. just said, okay, let's let's go. Right. And he did it flawlessly and uh, still picked them apart. But you didn't see him trying to, okay, I got to make the big play here. I got to force it downfield. Anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things that was talked about is uh, one of his last hurdles was making sure that uh, you're getting people into the right play. You've got the ball security. Right. And, boy, he has been just lights out so far. I played for a coach that uh, used to emphasize ball security. Trust me. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> no. <laughs> ball, ball security is very important. So the, the one thing that I, I love about the whole team, as well as when J.J. went in, we have a couple of quarterbacks. Sometimes you may have a different cadence or different, you know, different way about them. But this team, they're not. there's no pre-snap penalties. They're not jumping That's offside. Right. So it's a very disciplined team. So I credit the coaching staff and the players. But obviously, when you got when you have different quarterbacks coming in, there really wasn't a change. You all of a sudden didn't have guys jumping off. You didn't have guys out of position. You didn't have formation issues. So to me, that's one of the most encouraging things from just the team in general. And then obviously the way they're reacting to the you know the multiple quarterbacks going in and out. So that's really encouraging as we as we continue to go on this season. You know, John, I'd like to chime in a question, if I could, to both yeah, you, go ahead. And to, uh, you and to BJ, and it has to do with the Cade McNamara injury. So everybody's, everybody's lamenting, oh, God, Michigan better, you know, they better protect J.J. You know, all of a sudden, you know, what if he, it's all this, what if he gets hurt? I seem to know a lot of people are always thinking negative thoughts all the time. But I'll start with BJ, and then, John, you chime in on that. I mean, should J.J.'s approach be different? The fact that he cannot get – should Michigan approach it differently because their stellar backup and Kate McNamara is out for a few weeks? Well, I again, that's a fabulous point. And they think they may start to game plan a little bit differently because you cannot afford to all of a sudden – you had this uh, you know, this embarrassment of riches at quarterback. It yes. was just one hit, and suddenly now you've you're, you're yeah. got a brand-new starting quarterback. So, again, I'm not that close to the program, but I have to assume they're going to game plan a little bit differently to – not put him out there to take take big hits. Now, the advantage, the obvious advantage, he comes because he's got he's got legs and he can run and, and he he stretches the defense to make it eleven on eleven. So you can't give that up. But I think they they'll probably have to scale back a bit because you cannot afford to have him take big hits. You just can't. John, do you, John, do you think that the that, that uh, the RPOs and things might diminish because of that? I think they should. I mean, I, I'm yeah. uh, 100% in agreement with BJ there, uh, especially these these next few games. I think yes. the as it's developed, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that Iowa's not going to give you a tough game because they always do out there, but <laughs> as it has developed, uh, the, the real push comes to shove game, it looks like at this point could be that Penn State game. And you know Michigan State's going to play – incredibly hard Mm -hmm. and you've got Columbus at the end of the year so you want the your quarterback you want J.J. McCarthy upright and in all ways ready to go in games like that Mm -hmm. and if that means taking off a little bit less scrambling a little bit less throwing the ball away at times a little bit more 
yes, that's what you do because uh, you don't want uh, someone who has never started a game being your starter at Iowa or in one of those other games that I mentioned. You just don't. Uh, Two of the next three are on the road, and that's you know yeah. road games are are a different uh, you know different atmosphere. So, yeah. two of the next three are on the road, and that's you got to be ready for that. There you go. We've talked about quarterbacks. Uh, how about the guys that they're throwing to? Because we have seen Roman Wilson highlighted. He has had huge moments uh, so far. You've seen. Uh, Cornelius Johnson, who was the guy last year, who was the leader of this team, catching the football. And you've seen the new leader, or this year's leader so far, Ronnie Bell, who fought all the way back from that injury. I'm wondering about who might be your uh, your next man up as far as production. Could it be an Andrell Anthony, who uh, we saw have the monstrous game last year mm-hmm. against Michigan State? Uh, could it be AJ Henning, who we saw some flashes of uh, in this last game? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? We'll start with we'll start with Tom on this one. Well, it's funny because uh, Andrew Anthony's uh, football coach, a good friend of mine, Bill Farrakis, East Lansing, <laughs> called me right after the game, right after I got out of Harbaugh's, uh, you know, press conference. Said, "Hey, did Andrew play much today?" I go, "Well, <laughs> he got in. He got in in the second half, and I." I I think there's some, you know, and I, Bill didn't really know what's going on with him. He's not in contact with him, but I was questioning it myself because he's a really good downfield blocker. And you hear, you hear Jim Harbaugh talk about how Ronnie Bell is a good downfield blocker. And, 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 you know, BJ knows what downfield blockers, you know, what they, you know, how they get on the Kurt Stevenson or some of these guys, that's how they, they were just wide blockers. Right. And then John yes. Cole are in the eighties, but um, I, I'm really surprised. Do we wait till Andrew Anthony? Do we unveil Andrew Anthony in the Michigan State game where he, you know, <laughs> catches for two hundred? I mean, I, I, that one mystifies me. Um, why? Because I think he's, I think he's a marvel. It's not because I know the kid or I saw the kid play in high school. I don't understand it because he's, he's a good, he's the, he's the fourth guy to answer your question, John. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And you're closer to the program than I am to know. You know, I don't know if there's injuries or whatever. I have no idea. I'm not that close to the program, but you know, you bring up a good point about blocking and clearly, you know, going back to the bow days, I mean, you had, you know, Anthony Carter was, was one of the greatest receivers ever, but you know what? He was one of the best blockers ever. I often kind of joke to, to Butch, Wolf, Hulk, and Stanley Edwards. I said, you owe half of your yards to Anthony because not only was he running guys deep, but he was blocking folks when you were coming around the corner. Yeah. So, so wide receiver blocking is, is critical. We all know that. And, and, uh, the guys we have now are doing a great job. I was fortunate the guys we had back in, in my day too. They were they were great blockers, and you worked on it a lot in practice. And, and obviously they're working on it now because they're they're doing a great job downfield. Back in your day, they uh, had varied non-conference schedules. The one that Michigan has at present gets <laughs> talked about a lot. Tom and I have talked about it, obviously. Michigan has never started out a season scoring 50 points plus three games in a row. And that is a a function, I I would say, of a pretty weak opposition Mm -hmm. at the start of this season. Talk about uh, for a moment your and and this is going to lead me into a a start of the Big Ten Maryland question. But but um, how you looked at non-conference games, BJ, and what you can recall about how. Yeah, the, the type of competition you tried to play. 
Well, it was easy for me. My freshman year, we played Texas A&M, who was one of the top programs. Yeah. And then, and then we started playing Notre Dame. So every year, either our first game or our second game was against Notre Dame. And typically, we were, you know, top five, top ten in the country every year. So we always had a very difficult um, non-conference, at least one, if not two, you know, tough non-conference games. I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of you know, the three that we played. But, again, that I, I'm sure those schedules are made way – in advance. And, and that's not for me to say, but I, I guess the advantage there is you get a lot of guys get a lot of playing time. And maybe that ends up being a huge advantage for us now that we've got about five or six quarterbacks that now have, you know, a handful of snaps, you know, under their belt. So, you know, I, I it, it's always good to have competition because you want to know where you stand when you start that conference schedule. Um, so I was fortunate in my day that we, we always had Notre Dame and we had Texas A&M. We had some other tough tough folks that we went after before we went into the big 10 schedule all right tom anything to add on that it's, it's well, not like your feelings about this are unknown <laughs> well i mean a perfect example and bj will, will recall this the rose but Bo won his first rose bowl they lost a heartbreaker to notre dame and who do they play the following week they come back and play george rogers in south carolina, south carolina yeah it was a really really good team they played two tough teams he was a heisman and, winner of the year yeah, he went okay. And what did it do for Michigan in the Big Ten play? They you 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 blaze through and your defense really shored up, uh, beat Ohio State and beat Washington in the in the Rose Bowl for Bo's first win. That is a classic example of what a non a tough mm-hmm. non conference slate was. Notre Dame on the road come back after a tear jerking loss down there, mm-hmm. and then uh, Michigan almost pulled it out against South Carolina at the end. Uh, Anthony had a shot at a game winning touchdown, so. I, you know, you know where I'm at that, John, you know, you know, where mm-hmm. I was, I was driving you crazy and everybody else complained about the situation, but I re- I just think it's, you just don't, you know, Michigan could be a great team. Um, it could be a not so good team. We just don't know. I think mm-hmm. we're going to know a little bit more against Maryland. We're going to know a lot more uh, when at Iowa, because of that defense. And then when Penn state comes in on the 15th, okay, then everything, everything comes to fruition. We know what they are, and then we'll forget about this nonsense. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a perfect world, you'd like to see at least one, you know, difficult non-conference game. Now we with with the, the schedule that we have, we only have three non-conference, so you'd like to see at least yeah. one challenge in there. Because like you said, you know, you've mentioned Iowa a couple times, and I think I, I think I heard yesterday that that's going to be a noon kickoff. So I think that's an advantage to Michigan because if that's a night oh, no game, doubt. Oh, I, hell I, yeah. was, I was there in 2016. It was not pretty. Um, yeah. And so that's a difficult place to play and to win. And Michigan obviously has not done well there, but I, I think the, uh, the, whoever set that schedule, that's, that's to our, I think to our advantage to be a noon kickoff. So here is my uh, put you on the spot question uh, about, <laughs> the ramp up to, uh, to big 10 competition in Maryland. Um, the weird thing about this is neither Michigan's offense or defense have been tested like they're going to be in this week. It's Michigan's defense that gets tested far more than it's offense. I believe because Maryland has a, you know, they'll they'll give up some points, but, uh, their offense is, is pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. So, and then the following week, Iowa is going to test the offense more <laughs> and uh, and the defense, they should, uh, they, they should be in pretty good shape against <laughs> yeah, what yeah, has been should. a very poor <laughs> Iowa offense. Right. right. Take does, the day off. does, does Maryland, does Maryland with their offense against what has been a very good Michigan defense against lesser opponents, 
do they put 20 or more on the board? Well, what is Maryland averaging? 40, 40 some, close to 50 a game, whatever in the first three games. I, I think we probably give up 10, 13, maybe 17. I don't think they get to 20. This defense, again, lesser competition, but the athleticism and the speed that I see, and then obviously having Mozzie Smith and some of those guys and those those front three, they can really bottle up and take a lot of a lot of double teams. And I think you're going to start to see the end guys start to start to flourish as this season goes on because they're going to be single covered out there, or they're going to have to keep a back in to chip somebody coming around the edge as long as our three can tie it up. And I think we've got tremendous speed on the back end. So it, it's going to be tough for those guys. And we haven't had a lot of turnovers yet. I don't think our defense yeah, right. is maybe one or two. I, I don't know offhand, but I, I think that's going to be the key is we're, they're going to start forcing some turnovers, I believe. And and that, you know, that that keeps them out of the end zone. I think they get 17 maximum. They don't get to 20. <laughs> okay. Tom? Well, I, what I do like, and once again, it's hard to judge against – uh, the competition, but I love I love the swarming aspect of this defense. I don't really recall as much in the past. There's a lot of winged helmets around the pot, around the ball. It seems like at every play. So I I do like that. I I agree with BJ. There's got to be some turnover. I mean, Rod Moore had a pick. Um, this was Michigan hasn't had a lot of interceptions in the last couple of years, and uh, I think that would be uh, a good thing. You know, you know, when I talk about moving forward, I'm not worried about Michigan's defense, guys. The only aspect I'm worried about, it's not really a worry, but when I watch Michigan's offensive line, and I know there's been a lack of continuity, there have been a lot of injuries, and and uh, you got to have all that whole unit together. But I, uh, I, I'm seeing some some struggles of carving holes a little bit in a couple mm-hmm. of games that I was surprised. And wait till Iowa's front seven deals, you know, Michigan has to deal with that front seven, let alone Penn State and beyond in Michigan State, um, just on sheer adrenaline in that game. Michigan's offensive line is the only area that I'm I'm questioning, uh, I, or I'm just holding off to evaluate mm-hmm. them until they play tougher competition. Yeah, I I, I would and totally I think agree. That's reasonable. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead, John. Sorry. So I I'm I'm with uh, BJ in this thinking that it, no more than 17. That's why I kind of set it at 20. I could see this being a. Um, a 35-17, 38-17 sort of game where uh, you know Michigan pulls away, gives up a few, but uh, and, and maybe who knows? Maybe they score more than that. This has certainly been a scoring machine so far. But again, you get your first taste of the Big Ten, and, and we'll see. We're getting a bigger taste of the Big Ten and what they're doing as uh, these teams go along. We certainly had some eye openers over the last weekend. My next question, which would be, uh, I'll, I'll go to Tom first on this one. Who is emerging in your mind as the biggest threat to Michigan outside of Columbus, Ohio, in the Big Ten? <laughs> I'm going to be Captain Obvious here. How about Penn State? I mean, <laughs> going down to Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn, Alabama, yeah, from what I hear, and that's one of my bucket list things. I want to go to an SEC game, uh, maybe the Iron Bowl down there. Uh, but the noise level that they had to deal with and just the way they took over that stadium, Penn State's got my attention. And not only – I mean, they won at Ross State Stadium at Purdue and, and and not playing that well. And they took that game over against Auburn. Now, Auburn is like a six or seven win season projected and not a juggernaut in the SEC, but it's still SEC. And going down there, and I thought, I thought, wow. 
this this team has got my attention. So October fifteenth, mm-hmm. and then you take a week off, and you got October 29th for the biggest game of the year, in my opinion, is Michigan State at home. You got to win that game. Yeah, those those stick out. But Penn State, to answer your question, it's uh, nobody compares with that, in my opinion. Right. It, yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, the the obvious Ohio State, and I think the obvious Michigan State. I don't care what Michigan State does between now and October 29th, they'll, they'll be ready to play Michigan no matter what. So yeah, that's always going to be just kind of a knockdown drag out, as they say. But so so Penn State. I mean, they're always good, and they're the thing. Tom is they're they're so well coached and they're disciplined. Oh, so very well. That, yeah. that that makes them even a, a bigger threat because well, now. Well, Manny Diaz, Manny Diaz, a new DC. It, it shows. Yes. You know, you can see that. So that's, you know, that's where the J.J. McCarthy, can you spread the defense? Can you make them play honest? Can you get, you know, one-on-ones and isolations and things like that, which then obviously puts our offense, you know, in a, in a favorable position. So um, the, I love the chess game of college football. And uh, the 17 and two-thirds yards, you know, wide on the, on the hashes makes it a whole different game. But uh, as we get further down the road, just as the talent gets better and the coaching staffs get better, it's just a lot of fun. We have some great games ahead of us. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And the reason that uh, Tom Crawford, you said that you were Captain Obvious in picking Penn State, <laughs> I, I, I know the respect and concern you have about that Michigan State game. And so I, I, I was a little curious as to whether you'd go off the board there and, and still say the Spartans after what happened on Saturday. But I'll tell you what, we've both been to the West Coast for these early games. We know how tough that is to be out there. I think the obvious thing that jumped out regarding that one was Michigan State's secondary, which if I'm J.J. McCarthy and the receivers on this Michigan team, I got to be thinking, Lick, hey, licking the we, chops. Can, we, can, <laughs> we can do this. And, well, there's uh, no quarterback pressures. There was no sacks, no quarterback pressures, and you have a weak secondary. I And, and Washington was able to run the football. And it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, how, they, they weren't even noted to run the football, and they ran the football early on, and then Michael Penix was just having a field day back there. That one took me back a little bit in a, in a you know, gleeful kind of way. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, well, yeah, I, I think didn't Washington run for, for nearly 200 yards, so that was the yeah. stat that really stuck out to me as they ran the ball. Yeah, I, I, it was not shocking. The other, the other question leading up to that Michigan State game is can – somehow Michigan State go to the transfer portal and get an entirely new secondary before that Michigan game. <laughs> He'll try. He will try. Mel Tucker will try. You if know, there's, and, one and, guy, <laughs> if there's one guy that can do it. I think Mel Tucker can do yeah, it. Yeah, but BJ, you know how that Michigan State game is personal. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you were on the bottom of that pile getting, I mean, getting tackled a few times running that option. It's a different level, right, of yes. uh, venom, if you will. Yes. Well, what was interesting, I grew up in Ohio. So I obviously grew up with the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. And growing up in Ohio, that's all you really know. Well, I show up at Michigan, and in my sophomore year, Kirk Gibson and, and Eddie Smith, they come into Ann Arbor and beat us. I mean, I you understand real quick how important that Michigan-Michigan State rivalry is because I didn't understand that when I grew up in Ohio. But you come into Ann Arbor and you realize real quick that's a game you have to win every year. And that's important. And as I said earlier, you know, they always talk about throughout the record books and all that stuff. And that's true. No matter what they look like before that, uh, they're usually a different team. They, they play so energized and and so motivated that, and then sometimes Michigan plays a little tentative and that just plays into their hands. So it's exactly, I, you know, I want to win that as, 
I almost want to say as bad as beat Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, well, BJ, and that brings me to this. I didn't. Uh, we're going to kind of go off the board for a minute to uh, your a standout memory in each of those rivalry games, uh, the Michigan State series and the Ohio State series, because you certainly, as you said, got. <laughs> quickly introduced to the former and you knew all about the uh the ohio state game coming in what's what's one thing from uh back in your era that you that that really stays with you about each of those well it it's an easy answer for me because my junior year i started against michigan state in east lansing michigan state had beat Mich- beaten michigan the year before that so the idea of losing two years in a row was you know, it was an unthinkable thing. And we're on national television. I think we're both ranked in the top 15. So, you know, it's, it's a big game. And back then you only played on TV two or three times a year. Um, so it was a big, big game. And I, I remember the first couple series, I was, I was nervous. I mean, you know, you're, you're a little tight. I think the first pass I threw uh, hit the tuba guy about 10 rows up and, you know, goes, <laughs> are you nervous? And I said, yes. You know, so, but, <laughs> so we settled down, we got into our game plan, ran some 90 yard, you know, drive and options and, you know, settled down and won the game. So that, that was a big, big game for us to win that and, and to win it, you know, at, at East Lansing. And then, at, you know, as a kid growing up in Ohio, I played it. My last two games were against Woody Hayes, one in the shoe and one in in Arbor. And to beat Woody Hayes, um, you know, his last two years, my first two years, was just something special. I mean, it really was because I grew up idolizing Woody Hayes. I have a great deal of respect for Ohio State, and to have that chance to see Woody Hayes at Ohio State in Columbus and to walk off victorious and grab the roses as we walked into our locker room was pretty special. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, great, great memories. And uh, it's it's good to be able to bring that perspective back because uh, uh, guys like Tom Crawford and I were just getting really grounded in uh, in Michigan football lore at, during those years. And the 10 year war sealed it for for many of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We are coming down to uh, the fourth quarter here of our podcast. We, man, this time is flying, kind of like the the clock when you don't want it to. Uh, but one last thing I wanted to touch on: everybody makes their predictions before the season, certainly in the media. And so I'll start with Tom on this, and and BJ. Maybe uh, I'm sure that you you send out some guesses just uh, <laughs> at, at the beginning of every season. But what? Have have the results so far, or has the change at quarterback, or anything that you've seen to this point, changed your perspective on what Michigan will do this season compared to what you thought they'd do coming in? Well, huh? uh, yeah, I, I think I said eleven and zero going into Columbus, and <laughs> and I'm going to stick with that. And, and maybe I'm wearing amazing blue colored goggles, which I often do. Uh, but I, I think, you know, I know back to the competition, I know it's weak, but I just I just love what I'm seeing optically on this team, the execution wise and, and the ceiling and uh, all all the all the moving parts. I, I like what I see. And 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 so I'm, I'm going to stick with that. And also I'm going to stick with that because I, I think, you know, the Michigan State game has concerned me. I think Michigan's going to manage that game and I think they're going to figure out a way to beat Penn State. So I have them going undefeated, going into Columbus. <laughs> and um, uh, if you want me to give the season ending record, I, I am going to unfortunately go 11 and one. I think Michigan will compete down at Columbus, but they, you know, Ohio state down there and, and, 
and BJ knows how tough it is to, to win down there in that crowd and the payback element. I think uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Michigan uh, proves me wrong, but I think they'll fall a little bit short in that game and end up 11 and one. All right, BJ. Well, shockingly, I think they'll be undefeated going into Columbus also. Um, but, you know, like, like we talked is uh, w- what happened last year when we won on the road, a couple of tough games on the road and, and a tough game in in, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, against, the, you know, a decent team. So there were some tough road wins last year and against Wisconsin. So now that leadership, the team, you know, those guys that experienced that last year, um, you got to win on the road. I, I understand, you know, it's Iowa and it's and it's uh, it's it's Indiana you know, in these road games, you have to win those. Those are always a test because things can go wrong. Uh, you have to have that foxhole mentality. But I think they pull it out. Tom has clearly stated, you know, the Penn State guys, are, you know, maybe a little better than I thought, you know, before the season started. Michigan State's always going to be a challenge. Um, but I think they've got strong enough leadership. And, again, this is where Cade comes in. But I think those guys have experienced some very positive things last year. They, they have that leadership to really get them through some tough times. They're going to have some adversity. There may be some games where a couple of turnovers and things aren't going your way, and you got to fight through those. But I think they've got that experience where they can they can really fight through that and win those games. Now, in Columbus, um, I tell everybody, you know, family and friends, that it is a bucket list thing to go down to Columbus and watch a Michigan-Ohio State game in Columbus. There is nothing like it in college football. And when they do script Ohio, it is a really special, special moment. It's tough to win down there. I think we have the talent to win, um, and, and I'm not going to predict that game because I cannot predict that we're not going to win. Well, there you go. Uh, that for a dog. For a dog. Boy, that is so, ele- so eloquent. <laughs> he can still move in the – he can still move in the yeah. pocket, no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, he can dodge it like Tom Brady back there in the pocket. I hear you on that one. <laughs> well, before this season, I, I had much the same scenario in Michigan uh, taking an undefeated record into uh, Columbus. And I don't, I have not seen anything yet that dissuades me from uh, thinking that. Of course, so many things uh, come down to injuries in this game. Uh, they've already lost the quarterback that was your starter at the start of the year. They cannot afford to lose J.J. McCarthy. Um, I, I just I think that uh, there are, as B.J. mentioned, some very tough games along the way. I think Michigan has the capability to survive those. And I also think that if Michigan happened to run the table to that point, and did not win, lost a close competitive, maybe it's a 41-38 game in Columbus, I still say you could see two Big Ten teams in the uh, college football playoff. Well, I, if, if, if Penn State, I, I agree with you, John, but Penn State's got to only lose one game. Because if right. they run the table, other than losing to Michigan, I mean, then that adds the credibility of the right. Michigan victory over and also if Michigan State does, but I think the credibility of your wins is going to be a big part of that variable, don't you think, right. BJ? A- absolutely, because right now there aren't that many ranked folks. Obviously, Ohio State and 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 uh, you know Michigan State's ranked. I don't know what they fell to after losing, but yes, yeah, so you definitely need quality of competition. So I, I agree. I'm a Big Ten fan. I'd, I'd love to see the Big Ten East. I'd love to see those guys win every game except the Michigan game. And there's no question that just adds to your quality of, of, of victory. But I can guarantee you, right now we're talking about Ohio State. Almost every single day, if not every single day, they're preparing for Michigan right now. You know it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. (laughs) And I'll add one other thing. Having been down there uh, since the early 90s uh, in person, 
you go down there and if you want to win by one, you better win by a dozen. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. It it is a tough place and there is a home influence on what happens on that field. There's no question about it. Absolutely. Right. We saw that 2016 vividly. Yeah. So my wife, my wife and I went down to the 2002 game down there when they ended up winning the national title and we played them tough, I think. And, you know, and that could have gone either way. And Maurice Claret comes in and has a couple of big runs. And just like that, you lose the game. And yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Now, I was at the game last year. I was fortunate to to uh, to bring my my daughters to that game last year in, in, in Ann Arbor. And I'm just the joy was unbelievable to watch that oh, yeah. the game yeah. to win the way we did. So there's a lot of joy there. All right. And a lot of buildup coming to the game down in Columbus this year. Boy, this this podcast has flown by. It's been all kinds of fun with you guys. I appreciate you joining us. And, uh, hey, we've got to do this again with the same crew. Uh, yeah. BJ, you got you to come back. And uh, I appreciate it. Again, uh, thanks for joining us. We will uh, we will talk to you again real soon, Tom. And, uh, and BJ, fantastic job. I uh, want to see you again on the podcast. John, Tom, thank you guys so much for having me. It was an honor. Really appreciated it. It, it was fun. And JB, as always, it's a privilege to be on here with us. 